0: Market rate, £3,000 a day. Were you signing Lionel Messi? This is First Minister's questions. Just once, just once it would be nice to get a First Minister's answer. For Douglas Ross to stand there and talk about losing grip of a party when he's been leader, the Conservatives have had the longest attempted coup in Scottish political history. The Steamy, a laudable production for The Scotsman.
1: Welcome to the Steamy, the Scotsman's Politics Podcast. I'm Alster Grant, the Scotsman's political editor, and I'm recording this just before the Scottish Labour Conference kicks off in Glasgow. The party is filled with a, a sense of optimism that would have been unheard of a few years ago as polls show UK Labour is on course for victory at the upcoming general election and Scottish Labour is expected to make gains north of the border. I sat down with Scottish Labour leader Anna Sarwar to ask him what seats he's targeting in Scotland and just how important a UK Labour general election win is for his chances of becoming the next First Minister of Scotland. I also asked him about Labour's £28 billion green investment, rollback and other tricky issues for a party some say is getting a reputation for flip-flopping on key issues. This interview was recorded in a hotel lobby near the Scottish Labour conference venue, so apologies in advance for any background noise. So we're recording this in the days before the Scottish Labour conference in Glasgow. Paul, show your party is narrowing the gap with the SNP on course to make significant gains at the general election. Is, has Labour got this election in the bag? What would you say are the biggest challenges and obstacles in the months ahead?
0: No, nothing's in the bag. Not a single vote has been cast for the general election campaign. But yes, we've had a really significant win in terms of the running of the Hamilton West by-election. But that's one snapshot in time and none of those votes count towards the general election and so we've got to keep our feet on the ground we've got to do the hard work and with energy and humility continue to reach out to people across scotland and try to persuade them one that we need change and i think scotland's already persuaded on that to be honest about the need for change but persuade them that the vehicle for that change is the scottish labor party and scotland can play its full part in helping to elect a labor government to boot out this Tory government and to maximise Scotland's influence by electing MPs that will sit in government making decisions for Scotland and the betterment of Scotland rather than electing MPs that choose to sit opposite a Labour government and throw stones.
1: How many seats are you targeting in Scotland? There's been talk of up to
0: 28. Is that a figure that you recognise? Look, I'm not not putting a a target and and a number on it. Um, I come from the old school political uh, kind of uh, view that the more people you persuade to vote for you, the more seats you win. And uh, I'm not finished in terms of the job of how many people we need to persuade to support Labour come the next general election. Uh, Sophologists often talk about 35% in terms of share of the vote being the, the tipping point in Scottish politics. I think we're around that tipping point, but I don't think that tipping point's in the back and I don't want that tipping point to be the limit of our ambition. So we've got a lot of work to do to continue to persuade people across the country that Labour is the answer. I would, I would also say within that is what I'm really struck by about how politics change in 2023 is it feels like the only party trying to persuade anyone in Scotland is down to the Scottish Labour Party. The Conservatives only want to appeal to their hardcore base. The SNP only really want to hang on to their hardcore base. It's only Labour that is saying that we don't care how you voted in the past. We ultimately don't care how you voted in the previous two referendums. We actually largely don't care how you vote in any future referendums if that point ever came. We'll be really clear on our own position. We don't support independence. We don't support a referendum right now. But my God, do I recognise that we need change. And there is an overwhelming majority in this country for change. The Labour Party is now the vehicle for that change. So I say directly to people, we may ultimately disagree on the final destination for Scotland, but on this part of the journey, let's travel it together, let's boot out this rotten Tory government, let's maximise Scotland's influence, and let's deliver a UK Labour government that's working in the interests of every part of our country, including every part of Scotland. You don't want to talk seat numbers, but is there any seat um,
1: that you would see as a bellwether for how the election would go, or that you're particularly targeting?
0: Look, I think you know a lot's made off in terms of English terms, uh, the Red Wall. Uh, I think you can probably make a, a large tale around the Central Belt of Scotland as well. I actually think there's a lot of similarity between the Central Belt of Scotland and the and the Red Wall of England in terms of the demographic, in terms of some of the issues that drive people and the concerns they have, and the aspirations they have for their families, and so. Uh, look, we're not going to limit our ambition uh, in terms of where we want to reach out, but I think key areas that people will look at come election night will be, of course, uh, the central belt, whether that be Renfrewshire, Inverclyde, uh, Glasgow, uh, the two Lanarkshires, uh, Edinburgh, uh, Lothians, uh, Mid-Lothian, uh, East Lothian, and indeed Torco Creighton's very own uh, local area of uh, the Western Isles, uh, I think these are all, in Fife, I think these are all places people will naturally look to where there has been our traditional Labour representation and Labour presence. Yeah, so I think people will look at that come election night, but as I say, we're not limiting our ambition. Uh, I think a lot of it will depend on the number of people we can persuade between now and the next general election.
1: Labour's had a difficult time recently over a number of issues, not least its £28 billion green investment pledge. The party formally ditched that £28 billion figure last week. Less than a week before that, I had asked Angela Rayner, Labour's deputy leader. I think you were actually there when I asked her this when she was visiting Scotland, whether the whether the party was ditching that £28 billion figure. And she had said no, point blank. Given these flip-flops, how can people possibly trust Labour going into this
0: election? I actually think the position we've got to is a demonstration of how you can build trust in politics. I think the worst thing for us to to have done was, first of all, I I think we should have always focused on the outcome rather than the input. Uh, I think large numbers, to be honest, mean very little to the electorate. What they're interested in, what does it mean for me, what does it mean for my family, what does it mean for our local economy and that's why I think we have always should have concentrated on the outcomes rather than the inputs and the outcomes. So you don't think that figure should and ever the, have been well, I out think, there? Well I think, uh, the, I think time has shown us that uh, by by making that big figure announcement when international borrowing rates were around 1.1-1.2% and now sitting over 4% in terms of interest rates on international borrowing I think demonstrates that you know you have to be cognizant of the fact of what the economics looks like at any given time before you make uh, such commitments and we don't yet know the full scale of what the economic inheritance will be if we if and when we do have a Labour government post the next general election because of the sense of carnage uh, we have across the board. I think there's a, a, a broader point which is these outcomes are hugely relevant to people here in Scotland And I would much rather we were going into an election promising something that we had every confidence we could deliver and therefore take the pain in opposition rather than going to an election knowing that this is something that we couldn't deliver because of the economic conditions and then going back on it after you'd used that policy as a way of winning an election campaign. I think actually that would have been the untrustworthy and wrong thing to do. when there's already so much distrust in our politics because of what's happening both in Hollywood and in Westminster, I don't think we should perpetuate that. So I think a bit of honesty is the right thing for us to do. I
1: wanted to ask you about another issue that Labour appears to be rowing back on, and that's the plans to abolish the House of Lords. I think there was a report in the Financial Times a few days ago that plans to abolish it are scrapped in at least the first five-year parliament, but there might instead be some limited reform. And you've been quite outspoken about this in the past. You said the House of Lords must be abolished and replaced with an institution better reflects the makeup and identity of the united kingdom can we assume that you will not be happy if those reports turn out to be true and this plan is getting ditched or watered down
0: well i think the first thing to say is we we shouldn't believe everything that is uh, written in the papers of course not in your paper we should always believe everything that's written in in, in your paper, alistair but uh, look it's it's a similar report for example when there was a ludicrous claim that somehow we were no longer going to introduce the new deal for working people and we've doubled down on the need to deliver that new deal for working people but in terms of Lords reform, I believe every layer of our government is broken. Uh, the House of Lords is broken, it has to be fixed. The House of Commons is broken, it has to be fixed. The Scottish Parliament is broken, it has to be fixed. The local government is broken, it has to be fixed. And I believe only if we reform every layer of our government can we get back to a functioning democracy at every level of our democracy. And it's really interesting to, to emphasise the word democracy. We currently have a House of Lords that is not a democratic institution. Now, don't get me wrong, in some of the most worst areas of Conservative Party policy, we may well see it with the Rwanda Bill, we've seen it before in terms of the Dubs Amendment eh, around what happened with eh, refugees and asylum seekers, eh, a lot of the harshest and darkest policies that the Conservatives have tried to introduce, many colleagues in the House of Lords have been the eh, a barrier against that. So look, we've got to credit them for that work but on the principle is the House of Lords an archaic institution that has passed itself by date? Absolutely. And therefore we should be moving to a reformed democratic second chamber that is representative of the nations and regions of the UK. And I think... Um, Of course a Labour government has got to look at the whole, all the issues it has to fix but I think looking at how we reform that second chamber also has to be part of that programme.
1: Will it be abolished in the first Labour term?
0: Look I'm really clear it has to be replaced as an institution and I hope that what we can see is the immediate actions that have already been laid out for example uh, around uh, removing the remaining hereditary peers, looking at the appointments process, but then also a process, we go on a process that means that we end with a democratic institution that is representative of the nations and regions.
1: On the kind of issue of the constitution I'm interested in something you said in previous interviews, I actually think you said it again at the start of this interview. Um, well, you have said you don't care how someone voted in past referendums, and you largely don't care how they would vote in any future referendum. Um, I think you have said you know you're making a direct appeal to people. You might disagree in the final destination for Scotland, but we can all agree we need change. So let's go on this part Glad of the journey together. I was. <laughs> Since you're making that direct appeal mm. to those who might have voted yes and might still support independence at some future date, I do you not think that Labour has to address the constitutional question? in Scotland by setting out clearly the circumstances under which a future referendum could take place. So, it comes to use
0: himself as said that he wants the settled will was the language he used as well, the settled will of the people of Scotland will ultimately determine Scotland's future and at the moment there is no settled will, there is not a clear consistent majority for a referendum there's not a clear consistent majority for independence, but neither is there a clear consistent majority for the status quo. In actual fact, there's an overwhelming majority for change and the vehicle for that change is getting rid of this rotten UK Tory government and electing a UK Labour government at this general election campaign. I think the other point within the constitutional argument and debate, the reason why I'm saying I don't care is I can completely understand for so many people, after 14 years of the Conservatives, uh, why they want to run a million miles away from them and why they want to pull the escape parachute. And I think that was a much uh, more easy choice for them to make when they thought Labour weren't on the pitch and they thought Labour can't win. But now, when I think people can see Labour is back on the pitch, that we have a real, realistic prospect of winning the next general election and electing a UK Labour government and getting rid of this terrible, crank-fest, far-right conspiracy theory ridden Conservative Party, I think that in itself is a huge opportunity that we cannot afford to list. And then it's very similar to what Alexander and Nicola Sturgeon said in the run-up to 2007. No one expected Alex Salmond and Nicola Sturgeon to change their constitutional view because there was an overwhelming majority that disagreed with them on that constitutional future they were setting out for Scotland. But what they did very successfully was they said, you may disagree with us on our view on independence, but let us demonstrate through good government that there is an alternative, and allow us through that alternative to persuade you on the question of independence. Now, the problem is their record is now in tatters. They have weakened every institution in Scotland over the last 17 years. Not a single institution is stronger. And in many ways I'm actually making a similar appeal to people, which is, this is not working right now. And it's not working not just because of a rotten Tory government, it's not working because we have a dysfunctional, incompetent and financially illiterate SNP government. And so allow us to change our country by electing an alternative government across the UK and an alternative government here in Scotland. And through competence, good delivery and change, allow us to persuade you that there is a better, more united future ahead and that we can make government work for every part of the country, including here in Scotland.
1: You mentioned the settled will. Do you think there's a case to be made for a Northern Ireland-style arrangement where there's a, a trigger for a referendum to take place? If, you know, for example, the polls showed that people support it over a period of time?
0: Well, look, I mean, I I always hesitate to make, uh, you know, examples and and comparisons to to Northern Ireland uh, for very obvious reasons. There are very particular political uh, and social challenges in Northern Ireland uh, that requires that uh, bespoke settlement and uh, intervention from a, a UK government in order to deliver peace and allow communities to live side by side together in peace. And and so I I don't really want to get into a comparison of what's happening here in Scotland. But is there a broader point around the question of the settled will? It was Nicola Sturgeon actually that said she wanted independent support to be consistently at 60% before she thought about an independence referendum. It's Hamza Yousaf that has said through the SNP leadership election and since that he wants to try and persuade a settled will in Scotland and consistent support for independence they aren't doing that. In actual fact, they've been found out. People can see that the SNP used the issue of independence to mask for their failures. They've got two get-outs, the SNP. One, they have the get-out-jail-free card because of an incompetent and useless Tory government, and they say, at least we're not as bad as that lot over there. And the second get-out-jail-free card is they say to people, ignore our record and back us because of your view in the constitution. Well, I say directly to those people, whether you're yes or no, you're still stuck in an NHS waiting list with over 800,000 of our fellow Scots on an NHS waiting list. Whether you're yes or no, too many of our children are still being failed by this education system that the SNP have overseen and have taken us from being one of the best education systems in the world to now falling in the PISA standards. If you look at the skills system that is broken under this SNP government, it's it's young people from all backgrounds, whether their families were yes or no, that are being failed by uh, the SNP uh, cutting back on apprenticeships and and not investing in our young people. In our criminal justice system, too many of our communities are blighted uh, by a breakdown in our criminal justice system. Again, that doesn't discriminate on yes or no lines, and I think uh, using that blunt tool that the SMB have been using around the constitutional question, yes, no, to try and mask for their own failures, I think that's coming very, very close, if it's not already passed its sell-by date. I want us to go back to a politics where we're thinking about the us, not the us versus them, and instead is about delivery and, and working in the interests of all people, regardless of their background, regardless of their constitutional position. And I think through that kind of politics, we can continue to persuade people to one, support the Scottish Labour Party, but secondly, more importantly, to work with us to deliver this change the country this country so desperately needs. How important is a Labour win at the general election for your chances of winning the Holyrood election in 2026? Fundamentally important. Um, I think people people often reference uh, a very close relationship I have with Keir Starmer, whether that be a personal relationship, uh, a deep friendship, uh, a mutual trust, a mutual respect, that all of that is absolutely true. Uh, We have a very, very strong strong bond uh, and a strong shared political interest. But the other thing, if all those things didn't bind us together actually, our political destinies in many ways are bound together as well. Uh, I believe that the election of Keir Starmer as our prime minister and a UK Labour government is a key stepping stone towards a election campaign in 2026 and I hope a Scottish Labour victory coming out of the 2026 election. And likewise for him, he knows that his pathway to Downing Street requires us to make significant gains here in Scotland and for us to perform much better than we have done over the past number of years. So in that sense, alongside that symbiotic co-ambition, that itself is a great driver of of that programme as well as the the very close personal relationship and, and political link.
1: And what are some of the specific policies and changes you would like to see a UK Labour government make between 2024 and 2026? So again, you can then go to the Scottish people into that Holyrood election and say, look what a UK Labour government
0: has done. This is what a Scottish Labour government could do. Excellent question, Alistair. And first of all, we have to reset devolution and take it back to its founding principles, which is two governments that attempt to cooperate in the interests of the the people of Scotland. So we will reset devolution, uh, we will respect the institutions uh, around devolution and we'll make sure we're maximising Scotland's voice, not just in terms of MPs that sit in the UK Labour government, but also maximise Scotland's voice in terms of its representation on UK bodies uh, and that strong uh, connection and communication between the Scottish and UK governments, regardless of the political colours. Of course, I would argue that we get even more out of that relationship if you have a Scottish government that wants to cooperate with the UK, that wants to constantly rather than wants to constantly fight with the UK as we like currently have with the SNP and the Tories. So one reset and evolution. Secondly, install that new deal for working people, the most transformative change to workers' rights in a generation. That means finally ending the scandal of the exploiting of zero-hour contracts, fire and rehire, giving employment rights on day one, making the living wage a real living wage so people can make work pay. Third, I want us to have scrapped the non-dom tax status, and that means more money for our vital public services, in particular our NHS, and we would commit to spending every money of that in Scotland on Scotland's NHS, and I hope the SNP would make the same uh, commitment. Third, around, sorry, fourthly, around uh, the GB Energy, which is to be headquartered here in Scotland. I hope we're down the road of in opening up GB Energy and making it ready to help make those strategic investments uh, within that period between 24 and, and 26. And then finally, having stability and confidence back in our economy. So it's a growing economy again that is inspiring inward investment into the UK, including you in Scotland. I think if we have kind of done those five things between 2024 and 2026, I think that sets a, a really strong platform to which to campaign on in that 2026 election. Anna right. thanks very much. My pleasure, thank you.
1: That was Scottish Labour leader Anna Sarwar speaking just days before the start of his party's conference in Glasgow this weekend. Me and my colleague Rachel Amory will be there throughout the weekend bringing you all the latest news and analysis as we hear from Anna Sarwar and other key Labour figures in what could, could be the last party conference before a general election is announced. But that's all we've got time for this week. Until next time, thank you very much for listening.